Hello, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. My name is Nick Zararis, and boy, oh boy, is the legal tampering period in the NFL booming. Technically speaking, all of the things you are seeing that is being reported right now are not official until Wednesday. This is the flirting period, as people in the football media like to call it, between organizations and players who are free agents. They're not allowed to technically sign until Wednesday, but there's been a lot of movement already early in the day. Lots to cover, lots of storylines to keep an eye on, teams that have made moves. One team in particular has really blown open the bag, thrown a lot of money at a lot of different guys to try and make up holes. We're going to talk about it today and talk a little bit about some of those teams, how they made those decisions, why they made those decisions, the type of fit you're getting with the guys based on where they've landed, and some some conversation about the guys who are still available and where I think they could possibly end up. But before I get to the fun part of the show, got to remind everyone, please, please, please help grow the show any way you can. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, please leave a review, please leave a written review, leave a five-star review. Those help the show. If you're on Spotify, hit the follow button. If you're on SoundCloud, Google Play, Audioboom, Stitcher Radio, any other platform, hit the little follow button, please. It really does mean a lot. Even if every single episode doesn't check in on your interests, I promise sooner rather than later, an episode with your interest will come back around and it'll be worth listening. So, even if every single episode, like, let's say you've been listening mostly to hockey episodes and you're not really a football person, like today's episode, tomorrow we'll be back to hockey, so you should be. Later in the week, we're going to talk a little college basketball. I've been grinding away on both tape, yeah, I've been grinding college basketball highlights, and I've been reading a lot, a lot, a lot to try and catch myself up to speed. Dan Patrick this morning on his show called it cramming for the test, so you know what to look for when you're filling out your bracket. It's pretty accurate, but trying to cover as many bases as possible, looking very fun for next week. Already got one episode lined up about the Minnesota Wild. Going to try and line up another episode that'll be hockey-related. Not sure who I'm going to get for that. And then probably something baseball and probably something racing because the newest season of Drive to Survive is dropping on Netflix. And one of my friends, I talked to her about it and... She said she would come on, it's just a matter of when, and you got to be able to binge the season, not sure how many episodes are in the third season, so once we get to that bridge, we'll cross it. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop, and we're going to talk a little football. And with that, I'm going to get on into it. So. The first thing I have written down here on my handy-dandy notes is the importance of free agency and roster building. The way to think about free agency, it is for filling immediate holes if you are a solid team already. You are getting a person who has already been in the league for a few years, who is either pretty old and looking for a situational role, or you are getting a guy whose team couldn't afford to franchise tag them, or you are getting a young guy who never really got an opportunity to play that much and is looking for a bigger opportunity. Those are basically the three buckets you can find free agents that fall into. 
there are big names who are still available that are more name than, you know, production at this point. Whether you want to talk about, like, someone like Von Miller, who's up there in age now on the other side of 30. Or someone like Juju Smith-Schuster, who has yet to really prove if he's a number one receiver. But he's out there. And some team will end up paying those guys money because they feel like it can plug an immediate gap. Von Miller is a situational edge rusher, a guy who's only going to come in on passing downs to keep him fresh for key situations in the game. And someone like Juju is going to end up on a team that wants to upgrade the slot receiver because the slot receiver is, it's not quite a marquee position in the way the outside receiver and the pass-catching tight end are in today's NFL, but having an above-average slot receiver is a security blanket for your quarterback. You see the teams that want to make their quarterback more comfortable. You saw Oakland really put Henry Runfro in that position. You saw Josh Allen really succeed this year with Cole Beasley in the slot. I mean, Cole Beasley got votes for the All-Pro team based on how well he played in the slot. And the skill set to play in the slot is a little bit different. you got to be willing to go over the middle. You're going to get jammed a lot more. You're going to have to go in the box with safeties and linebackers. It's not... As glamorous as outside guys, you usually don't put up the same level of counting stats, but nonetheless, someone will pay Juju a decent amount of money to help make their offense better. So with that in mind, let's talk about free agency a little bit deeper. The other thing that comes from that is because these are guys at different points in their career, the contracts are going to look a little bit different. For the marquee guys, for someone like... Joe Thune, who signed a contract ex- with the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday afternoon, five years, something in the ballpark of 80-ish million, about $15 million a year or so. That's about three, four million dollars more than what you would pay a, a starting guard in the NFL. But because he's in free agency, the only time you're going to get the opportunity to get a player like Thune without giving up a draft selection, whether you're trading it or you're using one on the player, you're going to have to pay a little bit more because there are going to be other teams that are willing to offer money to that guy because they feel like he could make them better immediately. We saw the Chiefs needed to make upgrades on the offensive line. They cut both of their offensive tackles because they had suffered injuries and they needed more cap flexibility. Both Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher are free agents. Doubtful Eric Fisher gets picked up at any point this year coming off an Achilles that he injured in like January. Schwartz has a bad back, but I assume someone will take a flyer on someone who was one of the five best right tackles in the league for much of the last five years. But you're paying that free agency tax. You're always going to end up paying a guy at least a million to two million more than they would really be worth if it was a guy who was already on your own team just because of the nature of free agency. With that said, I'm going to start with New England because New England has spent a ton of money already, which is extremely uncharacteristic. We know that historically the Patriots like to build through the draft. They like to acquire undervalued guys, underdeveloped guys, and give them a bigger role because their scouting, their personnel department have identified individual traits that make them feel like New England can use them in a certain way that they haven't been tapped into before. Whether you want to talk about the situational pass rushers, the the Chris Longs of the world, the Rob Ninkoviches, the guys who are good at one thing and one thing only specifically, Bill feels like he can do something with that, and that's why they end up in New England. And I know a lot was made after the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl about that, you know, no one wants to play for New England, no one wants to play for Bill. It was always guys taking less money because they wanted to play for Tom Brady. 
That revisionist history is a bunch of bullshit. I, I, I understand it's slow sometimes in sports talk radio people and columnists have to come up with things to talk about. I promise it's really not that hard to come up with original ideas that aren't lazy. I do it pretty much every day when I do the show or I write a blog. You, you, you can put in a little bit of effort and actually form some critical thinking and understand it's a multitude of factors. I mean... I didn't think Cam Newton was particularly good for the Patriots last year, but I was also able to recognize, you know, he was throwing to, like, Jacoby Myers, Nikhil Harry, and two tight ends I had never heard of, as well as Gunnar Olszewski. Not exactly a murderer's row of wide receiver and skill position weapons to work with. And they had a number of guys opt out from of the season because of COVID-19. On that defense, I mean, Deontay Hightower, he's a little bit older now, but he's still an above-average linebacker. Patrick Chung had opted out. They're still going to have the McCordys. They have Stephon Gilmore. So let's talk a little bit about the guys they signed. They signed John O. Smith, who had 41 receptions, 448 yards, and eight touchdowns last year for the Titans. They gave him four years, $50 million over those four years, something in the ballpark of $22, $23 million guaranteed. That's good money. John o. is a talented player. He was not going to be able to stay in Tennessee because of their cap situation. He's a possession tight end. He blocks, I'd say he blocks a little bit above average. He's not an amazing blocking tight end. He's not a Kittle. He's not a Gronkowski. But he's solid at blocking, and he's dynamic. He's fast at the tight end position. If he gets a linebacker on him, it's going to be a mismatch. If he gets a corner on him, he's going to be able to be physical with the corner and get them off of him and make opportunities. And he's going to have... Uh, the ability to open up the middle of the field in a way that wasn't there last year for New England. I mean, we'll see what Julian Edelman is at this point coming off a bad knee injury. He's he's up there now. He's on the wrong side of 30. He's got a lot of miles on his body, a lot of injuries. But you sign Jonu Smith. You sign Kendrick Bourne. You sign Nelson Aguilar. Bourne was in San Francisco. I remember picking him up two years ago in fantasy in like the 17th round thinking someone's got to catch passes on the 49ers maybe it'll be born he never really was able to carve out a role in San Francisco I know he had a foot injury a number of times and then you talk about Nelson Aguilar someone who obviously wore out his welcome in Philadelphia the Eagles were tired of him dropping passes I mean I still have the image of Carson Wentz hitting Aguilar in stride down the sideline in week three of the 2019 season against the Falcons in Atlanta. There's no one behind him. If Aguilar just catches the ball, he's got 40 yards of open field in front of him and no one's catching him. The ball hit him in the hands and he just dropped it. And then he went to Oakland last year where he was out of the spotlight. He was a support player. It was him, Henry Ruggs, Darren Waller. Waller was the focal point of that offense. The Raiders weren't looking for Aguilar to be a game-breaking player for them. And he had a nice season. 896 yards, 48 receptions, 8 touchdowns, average reception of 18.5 yards. Pretty solid numbers when you look at it. Yeah, they probably overpaid him. Again, they overpay everyone. You have to overpay for free agents because if you don't, someone will, and then you won't have the player you would try to get. And you end up with that, you're, you know, you, you don't end up with anyone. And New England had one of the least talented rosters in the league last year. Somehow they won seven games. I'll chop a little bit of that up to Cam Newton being really good those first three weeks before he had the bout with COVID-19. I mean, they went to the wire with the Seahawks. And while the Seahawks didn't end up being as good as they looked the first half of the season last year, 
That was still an impressive performance from Cam Newton, who, you know, we weren't sure if he had anything left. At the end of the run there in Carolina, it was ugly. He couldn't plant because his foot was injured. Because he couldn't plant because his foot was injured, he was using all of his upper body to try and throw the ball. He had no accuracy because he wasn't able to use his, uh, his legs to aim, and he was throwing a lot of balls in the dirt, a lot of incompletions. And for three weeks last year, I know that's not a ton of a sample, but for three weeks last year, the Patriots ran that run-heavy version of the offense where Cam was going to carry the ball a lot and design runs. And I don't know if you're going to be able to have a 30-plus-year-old Cam Newton do that at this point in his career, but in the red zone, at least, the threat of that is decent. They will have decent skill position guys now. This offense isn't scary, but... Sony Michelle, Damian Harris, Nikhil Harry, Julian Edelman, Kendrick Bourne, Johnu Smith, Nelson Aguilar. That's not awful. Those are NFL players. None of them is a number one target. I don't think you're going to be able to use New England's offense like Darren Waller is with Oakland or Mark Andrews is with Baltimore with Johnu. He's not going to be the number one guy, your most targeted player downfield. But he's at least a competent player. And, of course, I haven't even mentioned Matt Judon, the edge rusher from Baltimore, who it was weird to see New England spend money on because, historically, New England doesn't spend money on pass rushers. They're always willing to let guys leave in free agency because they don't value the position because they feel like they can always scheme guys or draft guys. I mean, they drafted a pair of guys over two years from Michigan, didn't play a ton of Chase Winovich last year for whatever reason. I liked Winovich's game coming out of Michigan. That's the guy with the really long blonde hair. And then they had Quincy Roche last year who played a decent amount, but not a ton. I think New England is heading somewhat towards the right direction. I think a lot of these are stopgap moves because I also, at some level, I am curious just how much longer Bill Belichick wants to do this because he's the second oldest coach in the league. He's got the six Super Bowls. Does he really want to embark on a full-scale rebuild? I think New England is definitely in play to take a quarterback in the draft. I know they are at 15. That's a little bit late. I don't know if you're going to be able to get any of the quarterbacks aside from maybe Mac Jones or um, Trey Lance at 15. I like Trey Lance's game. I don't know if he'll fit in the New England offense. I don't know what kind of offense New England is going to try and run if they were to draft Trey Lance. I mean, in theory, if you're going to run a version of what they did with Cam Newton for the first three weeks of the 2020 season, Trey Lance could do that. He's an athletic guy. He's got a cannon arm. His intermediate accuracy leaves a little bit to be desired, but, you know, he didn't have to throw a lot in North Dakota State. They were usually the best team on the field whoever they were playing, and they were able to just pound the ball down their throats in a heavy eye formation, or Lance was able to take it on design runs, and he was just trucking over guys at that level because they're just smaller. That, that They're just smaller guys. If he's the best athlete on the field, he's going to carry it. Why wouldn't you just take it for 16 yards and truck someone in the process? It was pretty impressive. So I think New England is definitely in play for a quarterback at 15. All of their moves were overpays, but they had as much cap space as anyone in the entire league. They had an extremely depleted roster, and it made sense to bring in those guys. They needed an edge rusher for sure. That's another guy you can add to your rotation. They needed skill position guys to make Cam Newton's life easier. 
Now, in theory, New England should be able to go from seven wins to nine or ten wins if their defense is able to bounce back a little bit, and they're able to get a little bit more than what they got from Cam. I will say, at the end of last season, Cam Newton looked pretty done, but I think I think I trust Bill Belichick's judgment on this kind of thing. If he feels like they can do something with Cam, they definitely can. Now, transitioning to another team I wanted to talk about, the Jets. Jets came into this day, second most cap space of any team, the only team with more cap space was Jacksonville. They were in the market for skilled position guys, they were in the market for edge rushers, they were in the market for offensive linemen. Jets need a lot of stuff. They need pretty much everything aside from a slot receiver and an interior defensive lineman. So aside from Quinnen Williams and Jamison Crowder, you could have signed anyone today in free agency and it would have filled in a hole. We all just kind of assumed they were going to be in the market for Joe Thune and Corey Lindsley, neither of which ended up happening. Like I mentioned before, Thune ended up in Kansas City. Corey Lindsley signed with San Diego, the highest paid center in the league, to go to the Chargers to help solidify that offensive line and make Justin Herbert's life a little bit easier where he's not running for his life. The Jets definitely need offensive line help still. Aside from Makai Becton, that offensive line leaves a lot to be desired. Connor McGovern was pretty bad at center. They don't have a solid right tackle. I thought they'd be in the ballpark for either of those guys. Jets did make a few signings, though. Corey Davis, the Tennessee receiver who went in the top 10, he was a Mac product. He went to Central Michigan. Never really popped, popped like a receiver you expect would that you took in the top 10, but you saw flashes of it last year. I mean, he wasn't bad. You know, 65 catches, 980 yards, five touchdowns, average reception of 15.1. That's workable stuff. I don't know if Corey Davis is a number one receiver in the NFL, but I know he can take some of the load off of Jamison Crowder and the other skilled position guys. If you're looking at Corey Davis, Crowder, Denzel Mims, and then someone... At tight end, I don't know if that maybe this is finally the year the Jets have an offense where they're going to use Chris Herndon because Chris Herndon has shown you flashes of being a quality NFL tight end, at least in terms of possession and being a threat down the field. He's pretty athletic, reasonably soft hands, is able to get open. Maybe this is finally the year he gets open. I, I won't hold my breath on that, but Corey Davis definitely helps. They also signed Carl Lawson the edge rusher who had played in Cincinnati for the last few years. Solid edge rusher. Jets definitely needed an edge rusher, someone who could get after the quarterback a little bit. The Jets obviously aren't done. I would expect them to be in the market for something in the secondary. I know there was a lot of talk right before free agency started that the Jets were probably going to be in the market for Richard Sherman because he liked playing for Robert Sala. The Jets knew head coach so much when he was the defensive coordinator in San Francisco. It would help to have someone like Sherman there, just kind of a tone setter, where Sherman isn't nearly the player he was in Seattle. He's not nearly as good in coverage, but he's still fine. He's an average NFL corner at this point, and his intangibles are valuable to a team that's going to be young, someone who can kind of guide young players the right direction. They did also franchise tag Marcus May last week. So Jets obviously have more room. They need a lot of things. I wouldn't be surprised if they signed a veteran running back, someone maybe a Chris Carson, I could say, 
Maybe Jonathan Williams, the running back who was in Green Bay behind Aaron Jones. One of those kind of guys to kind of not be a lead back, but the lead back in a rotation with LaMichael Pirine and maybe Ty Johnson if Ty Johnson sticks around. But Pirine, Johnson, and Frank Gore just wasn't cutting it last year, especially after they cut Le'Veon Bell, who Adam Gase just refused to throw the ball to and use to his skill set, which was obviously frustrating for my Jeff Fran friends. I know a few of them are pretty upset that the Jets didn't really make a push for Corey Lindsley. I forgot what reporter was the one who officially said it, but they had said that the Jets didn't even call to ask what Corey Lindsley's price was. They felt pretty confident in Connor McGovern to stay at center, and they didn't want to have to move McGovern to guard and bring in Lindsley and throw a bag at him. There are good centers in this year's draft. Creed Humphrey, the Oklahoma center, would definitely be in play with that second draft pick the Jets have in the first round from the Seahawks as part of the Jamal Adams trade. I did. I just think that a lot of people expected the Jets to be more active. There are certainly still plenty of players out there that can make a difference. Now, I do have to make fun of the Giants for one second here because the only two things they signed on day one of free agency were a backup running back and a defensive tackle. They let Dalvin Tomlinson walk in free agency. They were never going to be able to afford him. This is also a team that essentially has three interior defensive linemen right now. I know Leonard Williams lined up on the outside quite a bit in a 3-4 defense, but he's got the size of an interior defensive lineman. You still have Dalvin Tom. You had Dalvin Tomlinson last year, and you have Dexter Lawrence. Giants need a lot of shit. They did not need a backup running back for Saquon Barkley because you could have got one for a lot cheaper in the draft. I mean, they're giving Devontae Booker $2.5 million next season, $6 million over two years with some incentives in there. You could have invited Devontae Booker to trading camp. You did not need to sign him the first day of free agency. And yeah, Austin Jackson, I'm sure it's nice to have an extra depth defensive lineman. But like I said, you already have two. You have Leonard Williams. You have Dexter Lawrence. Those are both guys with first-round draft pedigrees who are extremely athletic, who can get after the quarterback a little bit. The Giants are up against the cap ceiling and are playing the waiting game. They need to get Leonard Williams a long-term contract, which I am against, so they can renegotiate, move his money around, so they have some flexibility to go after a receiver because they desperately need one. The wide receiver market, it seems like, is developing the slowest, even though a few guys did end up getting signed today. Both Kenny Galladay and Juju Smith-Schuster are still out there. I know the Giants have been linked to Kenny Galladay. I know that I've read from a number of places that it seems like the two ideal landing spots for him in terms of availability are Jacksonville and the Giants. Giants would have to get Leonard Williams under contract and then subsequently restructure his contract so that his cap hit right now for the 2021 season with this lower salary cap would be more manageable. And they could sign Kenny Galladay to that $15 million a year or so contract that he wants and it probably deserves. It's probably a little bit more than Galladay's worth. If we were talking about this in terms of what he's actually worth, not what he's got, I'd say between 12 and $14 million, somewhere in that ballpark, 13 and a half, something like that, would be the sweet spot of something you'd give a guy like Galladay, who, even though he's got out number one receiver traits, he is a little bit of a jump ball guy. He does have that injury problem where he missed 11 games this past season where he had a hip injury, which 
you know, that's important for wide receivers. You got to be able to get low. You got to be able to use leverage to body faint, to shake defensive backs off of you. You got to be able to win those jump balls. We'll see. I'm not holding my breath. I don't trust Dave Gettleman in the slightest bit. I don't think he understands the importance of being able to throw the ball on any down in any situation. I think he's perfectly content to try and build an, a version of like the 2017 Cowboys offense that they ran with Zeke, with Saquon Barkley, which I don't think is a winning formula for a Giants team that has a pretty putrid offensive line, no receiving threats to speak of, and a tight end who drops the ball in key situations more than catches it in Evan Ingram. It, there's not a lot to be inspired by. They it, they restructured Nate Solder's contract, so they're stuck with him for another year to be the swing tackle or the right tackle, which is less than ideal. I mean, am I really supposed to be excited about Andrew Thomas, Shane Lemieux, Nick Gates, Will Hernandez, Matt Pert? That's not really an inspiring group of six individuals if you include Solder along that offensive line who are going to, you know, be able to block, pass protect. I know that it really varies that a lot of guys in the NFL are only good at one or the other, and the Giants are a run-first offense, unfortunately, because their general manager just is not that smart and thinks he's smarter than everyone else, which is the great con that Dave Gettleman has pulled over people in the football business, that he's so much smarter than everyone else. It's why he makes decisions that are so different from everyone else, when in reality he's just a stubborn old man who refuses to adapt with the times. He made that asinine comment last week about, you know, I like Windows on the computer. I'm not a believer in Windows for players. Like, that was some wise, insightful thing, thinking it was funny. Yeah, we know you don't believe in Windows, because we're in year five of a rebuild, and the Giants have the worst record in the league of any team since you got hired as the general manager. You should be embarrassed. You should be ashamed that you are, you still show your face like you're doing a good job. You have 40% of the salary cap tied up in six players. Nate Solder, Saquon Barkley, James Bradbury, Blake Martinez, Logan Ryan. That's your six guys who are going to take you to the dance. Those are the six guys who are going to be the key to winning a Super Bowl. Give me a break. What a joke. I'm not holding my breath on the miraculous Daniel Jones jump in year three is what I'll say. Even in a perfect universe. All right. Let's say you somehow got Galladay. You get Leonard Williams on a long-term deal. You restructure it. You give yourself a little flexibility. You don't get Galladay. Who are you taking at 11? You're taking Patrick Sertan. You're taking Caleb Farley. J.C. Horn. You're taking Quiddy Pay. Gregory Rousseau. One of the receivers, whichever one is left, of like Waddle, Devontae Smith, who of the not Jamar Chase guys, of Rashad Bateman. You're taking Kyle Pitts. None of it matters. There is no way I feel that the Giants can do anything with this group because their roster just doesn't maximize anything. Blake Martinez was good last year. Him being the fourth highest cap hit on your team probably tells me you're a pretty bad football team, is what I'll say about that. I don't want to dwell on the Giants too long because I do want to do an episode dedicated specifically to the Giants a little bit closer to the draft where I can have a few more people to bounce ideas off of and talk a little bit more out loud. And I don't want to step on the 
New York Giant weekly podcast that Ethan does for Gotham Sports Network. I don't want to step on that. That that'll be coming as we get closer to the draft because Ethan's gonna get to make fun of Dave Gettleman again, and you know, making fun of Dave Gettleman is very easy. And now the last thing I want to talk about on today's show, not a particularly long episode today. I don't want to dwell too long on any one thing because there's a lot still happening. And while I'm recording this, people are signing places like Dalvin Tomlinson signed with the Vikings, Brian Fitzpatrick signed with the Washington football team. So there's movement. Things are happening out there. Of the guys that are still left, we're talking about Kenny Galladay, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marvin Jones, a guy I've loved forever because of Madden, John Ross, the former burner from Washington who ran the fastest 40 time at the time when he was drafted. The Bengals did not pick up his fifth-year option. He's out there. I don't know if any team's going to take a flyer on him, but fast as hell. Hassan Reddick is still out there. Bud Dupree, who I thought would maybe be in play for the Giants, ended up signing with the Titans. Lawson, Carl Lawson, who I mentioned already, signed with the Jets. There's not... There are interesting guys still out there. Hunter Henry, Will Fuller, Richard Sherman, Anthony Schwartz, T.Y. Hilton, Jadavion Clowney... Mike Hilton, the corner from the Steelers, Malcolm Butler, the former Super Bowl hero who was with Tennessee, Awuzie, Amani Awuzie, who had been with the Cowboys for a number of years, a solid number two corner, Curtis Samuel, Tyrod Taylor for a team that needs a backup, Melvin Ingram, who's probably just a situational pass rusher at this point in his career, Rick Wagner, the former standout offensive tackle with the Packers and the Chargers, Chris Carson, Trey Hendrickson is still in play, Emmanuel Sanders, Mitch Trubisky is technically out there for someone if they want him. Uh, David Andrews, the former Patriot center. Malik Hooker, the former Colts free safety, who's had injury problems, but when he's played, has flashed pretty well. Patrick Peterson, who's probably more of a rotational number three corner kind of guy. Not a nickel corner, mind you. A true, he's your third corner on the depth chart, and he can get out there in dime situations, that kind of thing. A lot of interesting players that are still out there that can make a difference for a number of teams. I'd like to see Hunter Henry go to Jacksonville, be Trevor Lawrence's security blanket. Will Fuller, I thought, could maybe be in play for the Jets if they were to actually go after Deshaun Watson, make Watson happy. Fitzmagic, like I said, he signed with Washington. Anthony Schwartz. Some team is going to take a chance on Schwartz, assuming you're going to get the 2019 or 2018 version of him as opposed to the version that the Chiefs got this year, who was decent up until he injured his knee. He also has that lingering back issue. He's a talented player. He's on the wrong side of 30, but if he gets, if he rehabs correctly, you put him in a decent offense. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he was decent for someone, Mitchell Schwartz. I do know he. there's no way he's going to sign with the Giants because his brother Jeff had such a bad tenure with New York where they forced him to play through injury a couple of times where he had a bad foot and playing on the bad foot only made it worse. There are guys out there. I think Jadavion Clowney could make an impact for certain teams. I think T.Y. Hilton could be a good situational guy. Awuzie is a fine number two or three quarter. Curtis Samuel, I think, has tremendous upside. I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants ended up with Curtis Samuel. Uh, I just... He fits the bill of a, I think we can do something with him. He won't be as expensive as someone like a Davis or a Juju Smith-Schuster or a Marvin Jones or a Kenny Galladay. I will say about my boy Marvin Jones, who I've been banking on in fantasy for a few years now as a backup guy for when receivers are on buy or injured, 
he's solid. He's in the top 20 over the last three years of receivers in terms of yards and touchdowns. That's nothing to sneeze at for someone who has always been typecasted as a number two receiver. Granted, a lot of that production came this past season when he was the number one receiver because Kenny Galladay was out so often this year, but Marvin Jones has upside as a deep threat guy. I wouldn't be irate if the Giants signed him. I think he could definitely make Daniel Jones' life a little bit easier. Still no true number one in that offense, though, if it's, you know, Marvin Jones, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard. I think Shepard helps. He gets you open. He can do underneath stuff out of the slot. They seem to really emphasize Evan Ingram and Jason Garrett's offense for whatever reason. I don't trust Evan Ingram enough to make him the focal point of an offense, but hey, I only, like, you know, watch football for fun. I'm not an official, I'm not a professional head coach, like a professional coach like Jason Garrett, who probably should know better than to trust a guy based on his college tape, which was like, you know, five years ago at this point. There are plenty of guys out there that could push a decent team to good, help a bad team fill in gaping holes in their lineup. I mean, Hassan Reddick, 12 and a half sacks, that's nothing to sneeze at. Hunter Henry's reputation has always been a little bit better than his production, but he's an above-average NFL tight end. I like this free agent class. If this were a Madden franchise and I had, like, Jaguars-level cap space, I probably would have signed someone like Reddick to go along with Clavon Chase on. They already have him. They have um, Josh Allen, the University of Kentucky edge rusher. That's three good edge rushers. They could go out and get themselves a cornerback. Someone like Richard Sherman, they could go out and get someone like a Jason Verrett. They could go and get someone else for their offense. Like, if they want to make Trevor Lawrence's landing spot as easy as possible, go get that man Hunter Henry. Go get him an offensive lineman. I know Trey Turner's available because the Chargers cut him because he they wanted to make save some cap space. Go get Trey Turner. Get him a good offensive lineman. Work on that defense. These are this is a good free agent class because a lot of teams had to let guys go because the salary cap came down. Trey Hendrickson, I know a lot of that production people feel like is a product of being a part of the good New Orleans defense where he's lined up opposite Cam Jordan. They've got two really good corners. They've got two good safeties. And he's either going to get coverage sacks or they have to shade the protection towards Cam Jordan. So he's going to get a lot of one-on-ones. If he's your main pass rusher. I don't know if he's going to be able to have that same level of counting stat production. He still very well might be able to get the hurries. He might not be able to actually get the sacks or the QB hits, which I know are important when you're evaluating edge rushers because not everyone has access to the more finite, um, detailed statistics like hurries, pressures, hits, that kind of thing. So, it's hard to quantify when an edge rusher doesn't end up with a ton of sacks because that's traditionally what you associate with that position. I did read in the process while I'm recording this that the Bears have emerged as a landing spot for uh, Andy Dalton. So the Bears might be going into training camp this summer with uh, Andy Dalton and Nick Foles in their quarterback competition in a year where Matt Nagy is going to be coaching for his job and general manager Ryan Pace is building the roster for his job. So the Chicago Bears have uh, yet to learn from any of their mistakes, maybe ever. We're talking about a team whose best statistical season by a quarterback is like 2014 Jay Cutler. 
not exactly a masterclass in roster building. And that is where I'm going to wrap up today's episode. Super Bowls are not won in free agency. They are most certainly lost in free agency. It is never going to be possible to build a Super Bowl caliber roster with a bulk of your players coming from your free agency because they are always going to be too expensive because of the free agency tax. Like I always say about the show, whether you're talking, it's more, it's not really true in basketball because there is a maximum contract you can offer guys, but in football in hockey and baseball, you always got to overpay a little bit more than what a guy would be worth. If you were re-signing him to your own team as someone that you had drafted originally, you cannot win a Super Bowl in free agency. You can certainly lose one by giving out bad contracts that you are stuck with for a number of years. Oh, God, I hate Dave Gettleman. I will see you guys tomorrow. We're going to have Calgary Flames talk. It's going to be a good episode. I'm excited to talk about the Flames. They played really well on Monday night against the Oilers, so it'll make for a really good episode. I will see you guys then.